It's Wednesday, November 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the one and only Ron Gross. Thanks for being hey, here. Hey, always a pleasure to be here with you, Chris. Uh, so, there's an election going on, and I say going on because uh, votes are still being counted. Literally um, going on. Uh, so, so we'll get to that. Uh, we do have some earnings to get to because the sun comes up and the world still spins. Um, but let me start with a couple of things. It is just after 11 a.m. on the East Coast. I feel like it's important to timestamp yeah. uh, the show today um, for the uh, just to provide a little context, particularly uh, context, particularly for uh, younger uh, listeners. Uh, this is the fourth time in the past six presidential elections in the United States that a winner was not declared on election day. So um, uh, maybe we should be used to this by now. As I said, votes are still being counted. But you look at the markets, Ron, um, the, the markets appear to be pretty calm. The the VIX is down, the volatility index for anyone who, who tracks that sort of thing. Um, and as I as I said to you this morning on Slack, it's a really good thing that there are no publicly traded polling companies. I feel I like if polling companies Oof. were publicly traded, those stocks would be headed to zero. Yeah, it's rough. It's always hard to kind of figure out why the market is doing what it's doing in any given day. So the market's so far very strong today. Uh, tech stocks are strong. Um, and so what is it discounting? Is it is it? Discounting that there isn't a blue wave, um, even though Biden still very well may win, um, it isn't the blue wave that some had projected, um, and the markets don't like a blue wave. Uh, it, it's so hard to know exactly w- um, what they're seeing here. Um, do some actually think you know Trump will, will stick, hang on, and 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 will continue the tax policies, the regulatory policies of his administration. Very hard. Um, I like a market that's up, so I'll take it. Whichever way, whatever reason, I'm happy to see a market up. Yeah, you mentioned um, uh, some of the big tech stocks. Interesting to see Facebook, Apple, uh, Amazon, Alphabet. They're they're all up somewhere in the neighborhood of 3 to 5% today. And when we were talking last week, sort of like, well, what do we think is going to happen in the election? What you know, one of the things I had said was, you know, what I I think, you know, even though we are very much long-term investors, we are focused on businesses. And by the way, if if you're looking at a, you're thinking about buying shares of a business, and that business is heavily levered to whoever is in the White House, you might want to keep moving. You might want you <laughs> might want to go to another stock on your watch list. But I remember saying, I, I feel like in terms of those big tech stocks, it wouldn't surprise me if it was looking like Joe Biden was going to win and those stocks were up, in part because I don't know that a Justice Department under a President Biden looks to as aggressively uh, potentially break up the big tech stocks. Yeah, which it's kind of counterintuitive to me because you would typically, in a typical year or or four years, think of the Democrats as being folks that are more likely to put on regulation and pursue regulations of of all stripes. Um, We've certainly seen Trump pull back on that significantly, whether it's in the oil and gas industry or things relating to the climate or or even um, the financial industry. Um, But he has been very outspoken about going after the likes of the Facebooks of the world um, and some of those other companies. So while normally in a vacuum, I would say Democrats are more likely uh, to pursue 
pursue um, a regulatory environment that is strict. In this particular case, that seems to be a, a bit flipped. All right, let's get to some stocks that are moving for various reasons. And um, and this is actually tied to the election, although a state election, because um, yesterday voters in California approved Proposition 22, which allows Uber and Lyft and any other companies that are in the quote-unquote gig economy to classify workers as independent contractors rather than full-time employees. And shares of Uber and Lyft are both up more than 10% on this. Pretty big for them. This this was a a, a a bill that they had to get passed, and as as listeners may know, it's a it's it's a reflection of the AB five, the gig worker bill, as it's called, which was uh, put into effect on January first of this year, which made it rough uh, for companies like in, in the in the ride sharing industry to keep independent contractors, and they were going to be pretty much out of business uh, in California if this stood. Um, you know, votes are not completely in yet, but certainly the indications are that voters are voting in favor of Proposition 22, which will allow um, Uber and Lyft to once again have independent contractors. Um, those people would not be ben- uh, given the benefits that many employees um, typically have, but it would entitle drivers to new benefits like minimum earnings, vehicle insurance. So that's good for the drivers. Independent contractor status is very good for Uber and Lyft. I get that this is a win for both of those companies. Um, does it move their business model into... like? I, I still look at both Uber and Lyft as... Those are businesses that I'm glad they exist. I have no interest in investing in them. And while I get that if Prop 22 had gone the other way, it might have been a potential death knell for either or both. Right. But for me, I don't know that this win moves either of them into the, uh, okay, I'm going to put this on my watch list now. Yeah, it doesn't change the business model at all, really. AB5, if if it continued, would have crushed the business model to a certain extent. So this just gets us back to even um, with the debate of does this business model work one day or not. I like Uber better, particularly because of Uber Eats and, and some other things that they're a little bit more diversified, Lyft being more of a pure play. I don't own either. As you said, I'm not in a hurry to put them on my watch list either because I, I need to see... I need to see the business model make more sense, and I need to see a stronger path to profitability, as people like like to say, um, and not just profitability, but significant profitability to, to support you know, the valuations of these companies. Scott's miracle Grow wrapped up its fiscal year. Fourth quarter revenue was higher than expected, and in terms of guidance, uh, Scott's miracle Grow appears to be feeling pretty good about fiscal year 2021. <clears throat> Excuse me, yeah. Fifty percent. The stock is up this year. Little stealthy uh, winner, but a really interesting company sales. Seventy nine percent increase, driven by strong consumer demand. Um, retailers replenishing inventories, inventory levels because they think this demand is going to continue. Hawthorne, Hawthorne, I should say, their hydroponics segment. Now, do you know what hydroponics is, Chris? Because I looked it up, and I do. I think I do, but for the sake of our listeners, why don't you just explain <laughs> it, it? It is growing things without soil. 
um, typically uh, mineral-rich nutrients. So they have a division um, that focuses on that. Those sales are up 68% for the quarter. September was the highest sales month ever for that unit. Um, now, operating expenses were up 47%. That's a, a big number due to higher accruals for incentive comp, one-time bonuses. They're giving $3,000 to nearly all of the 3,000 hourly associates as a bonus um, for all the great work and the great year. Um, so returning um, some money to, to their folks there. High immediate marketing expenses, even higher charitable contributions um, led to operating expenses uh, jumping um, pretty significantly. But all of that being equal, all of that being said, they did have adjusted earnings per share of six cents. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it, when you compare that to last year's fourth quarter, there was a loss of 91 cents a share. Now, that isn't actually that weird because the fourth fiscal quarter for this company is typically a loss. It's a seasonal loss. It's not a great time um, for their business in the fourth quarter. This is the first profitable fourth quarter since 2006. So, really strong um, for this business. Business. The momentum is carrying into the fiscal first quarter of 2021, they believe. They established guidance, which looked pretty strong, adjusted earning growth somewhere 10 to 16 percent. Uh, so this, these guys are kind of firing on all cylinders, as I like to say. Um, they're pursuing a joint venture with a company called Bonnie Plants, which, which they had a, a business dealing with before, but now they'll own 50 percent of that company. Um, so pretty strong execution, and, and you see it in the stock price. Uh, one clarification: When you say f um, first profitable quarter since 2006, you mean first time since 2006 that the fourth quarter is profitable? Correct. Correct. I, I'm glad you mentioned the um, uh, the bonuses to the hourly workers, just yeah. like, like the three thousand uh, dollars, because the, they're hourly workers. They're not uh, able to participate in uh, any sort of stock purchase program that full-time employees have. So I. You know that's we've seen this with other retailers in the home improvement space, um, Home Depot, Lowe's. We've seen it in retail in general, um, costs going up because, uh, in part, because of bonuses to workers um, who are, you know, kind of crushing it during the pandemic. Um, you know, Scott's Miracle Grow. It seems like one of those businesses that I'm sure they have competition. I just can't name it. I just have no idea who is trying to compete with Scott's miracle growth. Yeah, you know, they're, they're the the clear lead leader, and there are others. They're, you know, there's some controversy always around companies like this because it's chemical based, and there's things like their Roundup product um, has been attacked from time to time um, for environmental reasons. Um, but they kind of are the main game in town, and you know, you go into any kind of retailer that sells these kinds of products, and they they command most of that shelving space. Um, and retailers are happy uh, to, to keep replenishing that, as they, they said here, because um, they think that this incredibly strong demand is going to continue. And so, as long as as long as they keep putting up these numbers, you know, the retailers are happy to stock the shelves. The highlight of Wendy's third quarter report was the fact that global same store sales were up nearly seven percent. That was higher than expected. I don't know, Ron. This is it. It feels like. It's always a mixed bag with Wendy's. <laughs> like I'm not trying to pick on the business. It just, I'm struggling to think of the last time they came out with really just a firing all cylinder on all cylinders type of quarterly report. 
Yeah. In fact, in my notes, I wrote fine quarter, but <laughs> you know, it's always a but. In this case, the but is that they fell shy of revenue expectations. I don't know how anybody really takes expectations from the analyst community seriously during 2020 because there's been no guidance and, and stores have been closed and stores have been reopened. It's very, very difficult. So playing the expectations game for me, this is kind of a lost year in, in, in terms of that. But but Wendy's doing a lot of the right things that they should do. They're building out their breakfast offerings, um, really important for these businesses. They're growing their digital business. Again, we're seeing that across the board with lots of, um, of these um, fast food restaurants they're expanding their international footprint so so they're they're making the right moves and it, it is showing up in the numbers as you said US same store sales up 7% international was down 2% so you know they offset obviously total revenue only up 3%, still up is up is better than down, but but only three, um, driven largely by higher sales at company-owned restaurants. They do own some of them. The business is largely franchised, but they do own some of them. Um, there was an increase in franchise royalty fees, uh, and those were driven, all the, the good stuff was kind of driven by the adding breakfast and the success that breakfast has had so far. And so you saw some margin expansion. Um, obviously, customer counts went down COVID-related weakness. Um, commodity costs, though, as we've seen in a lot of these restaurants, are higher. So, you know, expenses just go up. Operating income was up 2.9%, almost 3%. Interestingly, net income, though, was down 14%. And that's because of an unusually low tax rate this time last year. So the comparisons are rough. Probably better to look at an operating income line where you see about a 3% increase. Uh, they uh, hike their dividend. Hey, we, we, we talk about the upsets sometimes. Even in this environment, we've seen some companies um, show confidence in their business, reward shareholders by returning capital. They increased it by 40%. It's about a 1.3% yield, which which is fine, slower than the yield on the S&P 500. But you, know, you get a little income uh, while you wait for Wendy's to execute on their kind of, let's call it a, a turnaround plan or a growth plan. And hopefully they'll be able to execute on it because they don't have a lot of levers to pull. There was a point in time when the Wendy's group or the Wendy's company, they've changed their name a couple of times over the right. years, um, had other brands, um, most recently Arby's, which they sold to Inspire. So at the time, that was seen as, okay, they're going to be able to take that money Invested into the core business, um, as you said, they're they're doing some good things with breakfast. The commodity cost is going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, they they specifically cited, and I'm quoting here, significant commodity headwinds. Um, food costs are going up. That's that, that is not. Um, a narrative that is getting a lot of amplification in the restaurant business, but that is a fact. And it is going to be interesting to see how not just Wendy's, uh, but all of these restaurant companies, whether they are fast casual or straight up fast food, how they manage that. Yeah, we saw with the pizza companies, cheese uh, is is kind of at an all-time high, or, or certainly a recent high, um, is just one example. So it's something that if you if you can, you pass it along to the consumers in higher prices. Um, don't forget, labor rates are going up as well. So a lot of these companies kind of get the double whammy of higher higher commodity costs plus higher labor, which 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 takes a bite out of earnings. Um, I feel like Wendy's does need some kind of a, a menu shakeup. Breakfast is is a good idea for sure. 
you know, kind of known as a burger company. I think they've got a great chicken sandwich, but you've got the battle of the chicken sandwich going on that they don't even, they're, they're you know, barely mentioned, you know, versus whether it's Popeye or Chick-fil-A really taking the lead there, um, as well as some others like Shake Shack. So I think, I don't know, I think Wendy's got to, you know, sharpen their pencil a little on that menu. I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I the the... Call it two or three times a year. I go to a Wendy's. I, it's the spicy chicken sandwich that yep. they have, which is, you know, it's it's not Chick Fil A, but it's it's good. It gets the, number, the job the, done. The number but six. I, what's that? The number six. Yeah, the number six. Yeah. <laughs> I know my God. food. What does that say about us? It's like, oh yeah, yeah, the number. When I go to Wendy's, yeah, it's the number six or number nothing six. else. Right. Um, but but it, you know that. That's one more thing that they need, and that is one more thing that will take money, not just to do the market research to figure out what they can do, what they can come up with, but then what they can promote. You know, for all the jokes that people make, and we're among them, um, <laughs> about McDonald's and the McRib, you know, you, you don't say what you want about McDonald's. They do a good job with promotional items, with sort of those limited edition. I don't. I don't see Wendy's doing that, and that may be one way to start. Yeah, and like you could think of Wendy's almost as like a less popular Shake Shack, which I don't think you want to be. I don't think you don't really want that as your brand, right? People seem to really enjoy Shake Shack, really like the food, really like the experience, um, and Wendy's is kind of like the, the 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 afterthought there. I happen to think they make fine food for the, that kind of food, um, but they're they're. They're nowhere near the market leader, and uh, so I think I think maybe something in the menu is where they need to go. Uh, Ron, always great talking to you. Really appreciate it. You too, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.